welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. So this is as close to Thanksgiving weekend as you're going to get in 2021. And those of you that know me and love me know how I feel about holidays and special days. I'm a, I'm a Colossians 2 kind of guy where it says, if you're, if you're valuing one day over another, uh, you're immature. Um, but there are some times that I think that us being aware adds value and opportunity to our lives. Specifically, I think Thanksgiving is one of the best things that's ever happened to the American culture because nearly every other holiday that we have on the, uh, on the Western calendar is, it's either straight up demonic or it has roots in the demonic. But Thanksgiving is still one of those nearly untouched things. I get it, it's turned into turkeys and they're trying to lie about pilgrims and the history of America and, and, it, and it's about being a glutton or how much you can get away with in your gluttony. That's not obviously what it's about. But the fact that it's just called Thanksgiving, every time someone says, hey, what are you doing on Thanksgiving? It just, to me, it's like it's got thanks in the word and it's got given in the word. And I'm like, even if they don't know what they're saying, they're still saying it in Jesus' name. So I think there's a, a, a remnant that gets into people. So even though I'm really not a holiday guy, I want to cover this one because I think this will be important incredibly beneficial for your life and your future if you get some of these really powerful revelations that I'm going to... Uh, revelations and historical realities. So you, you guys know how I roll. I'm giving you revelation and historical reality that can uh, also seed into your revelation to make it even more powerful. So the first thing I want to talk about is in Luke chapter 17... There, uh, a couple of verses down in the 17, you remember that there were 10 lepers. Jesus was passing through the areas of Samaria and uh, Nazareth, and he was headed to Jerusalem. Now, this was his last time going to Jerusalem. He was literally going to his death. And... Jesus, amen, I have to stay focused. Uh, normally the Jews would avoid the Samaria areas because they were racists. I, I know a, a lot of people think that racism was just born in like, you know, 1960, but it's actually existed for a long time before you were even born. And the Jews were uh, very religious and most of them were are very they were they were very racist and most of them were religious bigots. They believed that they were better than others. That's why Jesus spent a bunch of his ministry fussing at the Jews because they thought that they were better than everybody because of their blood. Going back into some of the things that I was talking about earlier. And because Jesus wanted to break down those barriers Whereas all the other Jews or rabbis would avoid the Samaritan area, Jesus would go through it if it was necessary. Specifically, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he ministered to, she was a Samaritan woman. The Syrophoenician woman she ministered to, or that Jesus ministered to, if you remember, she, she came to him and she said that, uh, that I would like for you to, to heal my daughter. And she came to him as son of David literally playing off of the covenant that Jesus was going to be the Messiah to come and give us. And Jesus rebuked her for it because she did not have a covenantal right as a Syrophoenician. 
That's why Jesus called her a dog. For those of you that are, that are not catching up. Because she was trying to come at him based upon the natural blood covenant that she was trying to get from him by kind of like playing the covenant games. She did not qualify in the natural, so he, in a way, rebuked her. Like, no, those covenants, you're a dog as it relates to the people in that covenant. And then she did the, then she did the right thing. She humbled herself. And she said, yeah, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And then Jesus seen her faith and seen her humility and then did for her what she came to try to get by law. He gave to her by grace. Man, I hope you get that. And so Jesus was not a racist. And so he would not avoid these areas. So he was walking. He was headed toward his entire ministerial association was headed toward Jerusalem to die. And they were passing through this area, and while they were passing through, there were ten lepers that stood afar off. Uh, leprosy was an actual pandemic. Not like the scandemic that we're in, it was an actual pandemic. Leprosy was 100% communicable, which means you got it, and it was 100% mortal, which means you died. Not like what we have today, and I'm not going to get started, because if I do, I ain't coming back out of that rabbit hole until I've killed them all. (laughs) So these folks, by law, could not come within. They had to social distance. (laughs) Move on, move on. And so they were crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And what they were crying out, it, it, the the language doesn't bear this out, but they were crying out, Son of David, have mercy. And the words they were using in the Greek was ilio. And that work, that word is the sister word or the comparative word to the Hebrew word hasid or hasid. And that is a covenantal loving... In fact, they did not know how to translate that word into English because it literally is, it, it's an entire concept that you, it doesn't change into a word. That's why when you're reading in the King James in the, in the Old Testament, if it says that uh, God's loving kindness, loving kindness, it's like two words like jammed together like in a car wreck or something. And you're like, what, why is this word? They literally had to create a word because there were no words and there still is no singular words that carry the entire understanding, the revelation of covenantal hasid. And I could, I could teach and preach literally for six or eight hours right now, and you would never hear the half of it. In fact, when we have the marriage covenant weekend that's coming up in, where, when was it? March? End of March. We're having the marriage covenant weekend that Steve Castle Ministries and Dr. Ryan Benchimer, that we're coming together and putting that on the end of March, when we do that, we literally take three days and we teach couples about covenant and how important covenant is because covenant is not a contract. Covenant is not an agreement. Covenant is covenant. And the only way in and out of it is by blood or death. And so when God got into covenant with us, the only way for Him to get out of it is for Him to die. And He did. To get you out of the requirements of it. Not to get him out of it, to get you out of it. Man. So let me say this. If all of the promises of God are yea and in him, amen, that's a covenant statement. Jesus bled to guarantee that you would always get the promises as a amen. Amen means so be it. It's a covenant statement. So when a person says, well, God didn't heal me, you know what you're saying. You're literally saying that God is a covenant breaker. No, God healed you. Well, I didn't feel it. Aha! You didn't feel it. And you just called God a covenant breaker because you didn't feel something. That, that's dangerous. God's covenant statement is, by my stripes, you are healed. Covenant. The only way that you cannot be healed is for Jesus to die again and break the covenant. And he ain't dying again. So you have been healed. 
well, I don't know how that works, or I don't like what you just said, or I don't feel it, or I don't know it. Uh, that's all fine. I, I get all that. But don't you dare ever make God as the one breaking the covenant that he died, shed all of his blood to produce, to give you, and swore it with an oath that he would never lie. And if he did, he would die. And if he died, there is no universe. And so I can assure you that because the universe is existing, God has healed you. Said all that to say, they came up to Jesus saying, Son of David, have Elio, have Hasid on us. They were, they were trying to activate the covenant. And Jesus cried back out to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. Which is always, this is one of my favorite healings in the Bible. Because we have all these healing doctrines that we've created. We've literally invented more healing doctrines than there is, I got time to even unravel. And so I just, I don't even do it anymore. The healing doctrine of Jesus to heal ten lepers was, go show yourself to the priests. Didn't touch them, didn't spit on them, didn't throw anointing cloths at them. Didn't take up an offering. Didn't do all that stuff that all the healing people do. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. Could you imagine being a leper, literally dying, watching your body parts fall off, and you find the one guy, the Messiah, that has come to bring healing to the entire nation, and you cry out to him, you make a, you make a plea on the covenant, and the response is, go show yourselves to the priests. Which means, hey, go die. Because when you show up to a priest with leprosy, they can stone you to death. (laughs) But they went. Man, I could camp out right here. You know how often we miss the promises of God and we miss the manifestations that what God has for us because either the person or the thing that God told us to do doesn't make any sense to us. And so we just say, nope, I'm not going to obey that. We go into rebellion because our intellect is better than God. Go show yourself to the priest. That don't make sense. I'm not going to do that. Guess what would happen to the person that said, I'm not going to do that. That don't make sense. So God bless them. The ten of them said, okay. They didn't even say anything. They literally just went and did. One of the most important revelations that you will ever get in your life about manifesting what God has for you is go and do. Go and do. And I learned that early in Bible college and it stuck with me the rest of my life. Go and do. And so they all turn around to go and the scriptures say, and as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, This is why a lot of people don't see manifestations, because they won't go and do. That's legalism. You're telling me what to do. Okay. Good for you. Hope it all works out for you. Those people that avoid legalism spend 20 years being sick. Some of us that are obedient, which is not legalism, it's obedience, it's actually trust and love, manifest. So you can can hound your legalism dog all you want. I'm going to go and do... And I'm going to see these kind of manifestations in my life. And for all of those weirdos that are willing to go and do, you can see the same thing. They were cleansed as they went. Not before. Not the word. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. Whoa, did you feel that? Yeah, that was the anointing. No, they're like, show ourselves to the... I could... I'm, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to preach on this story right now. I was just using this as an example. But I could literally see the ten of them being like, dude. And I know they didn't talk like that. But dude, like, the, the Christ just told us to go show ourselves to the priest. He's the Christ. Why didn't he say, you know, come close? Or why didn't he touch us or, or do the thing? Like, come on. Like, we did all of this. We came out here. We're... we're literally could be stoned to death if we come into close contact with some of these people because we're violating the COVID rules. And and he says, go show ourselves to the priests. And I could imagine somebody in the crowd, I don't know, let's call him, I don't know, Steve. And Steve says, yeah, 
It's not that hard. Let's just do it. Jesus doesn't ask you to do hard things. He asks you to do divine things. It's not that hard to turn and say, okay, we'll go show ourselves to the priest. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've ministered and I've counseled to people, especially one-on-one, said, just do this simple thing. Well, no, that don't make sense. It's too simple. So do it. No, it's got to be harder. It's got to be more complicated. It's got to take more. It's got... Okay, fine. Wh- whatever. Trick it up if you want to trick it up, but just do that. As they went, they were cleansed. Uh, the next ver- verse, 15, and one of them, 10%. One of them, when he saw that he was healed. When he saw. So, man, this is such a radical. Leprosy was, it literally made your body parts and your skin and your flesh fall off. When he saw that he was cleansed. Do you know how like awesome this is? This is radical. When he saw that he was healed, turned back, disobeyed the command. Yeah. Disobeyed the command, turned back with a loud voice. I know, for all the introverts in the room, you you don't do this stuff in church. You're not going to be loud. You're not, you know, it's not in my nature, it's not in my personality to dance or raise my hands to God or to sing loud. I know. Even though the scriptures say, dance before the Lord. Well, that's not for me, that's for someone else. Praise the Lord with a loud voice. Well, no, not for the introverts, we get to do it a different way. Okay. We've limited ourselves because we think our personality, that's not from God is the way that we really are. Well, I'm just, I'm just an angry person. It's just my personality. Well, you need to be delivered. Yeah, because that ain't from God. Well, it's just my personality to be anal. Or I'm not supposed to say that. What am I supposed to say? I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever the Christian word is for that word I just used. Well, it's just, that's just how I am. No, that's how you were. And Jesus realized it, and so what he did was kill you. He killed you. Because that was terrible. You don't get to say in Jesus' name, I am... I'm not going to say it again. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, glorified God. Then the next verse says, and fell down on his face at his feet. Some of you are way too professional to fall down with a loud voice and worship at Jesus' feet. And some of the reason that you're not being cleansed of things that are going on because your flesh, your perception, what other people think of you is more important than manifesting what God has for you. Yep, that's supposed to be really quiet. Fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Giving him thanks was equal to praising him, glorifying God. Do you know that giving thanks, glorifying God, and praising God are all synonymous terms? When you are not thankful, you are not glorifying God. When you are ungrateful, you are unpraising God. Or you could say it this way, you're praising another God. Amen? Yeah, that's awesome. And then Jesus said, I think this was one of my most favorite statements in all of Scripture. Jesus had these these little tiny one-liners. He said, weren't there ten cleansed? Where's the nine? Jesus must have pastored a church. (laughs) I'm telling you, 
He, he went through time, came to 2021, whatever year this is, pastored a church, and then went back and became the Messiah and then said all this stuff. Because he knows what it's like to see ten people's lives get radically touched and wrecked by God and only see one of them actually live that out. He knows what it's literally, I, I honestly think that it's a spiritual principle that only about 10% of people really live it out in an authentic way. And it's also why about only 10% of the, I don't know if you know this, but only 3% of the body of Christ tithes. And I know you're sitting there thinking, no way. Okay, well don't make me check your checkbook. Only 3% of the body of Christ tithes. Only 10% of the body of Christ have said in Barna surveys that they are actually committed to their church. Which then also makes this make sense. Well, you know, I don't have to be committed to a church. I know. Because if Jesus was going to place you in a place around a bunch of people and have a leader that he ordained to be a part of your life, it would obviously look different than this. Well, I can just go wherever I want. I'm free. I'm an American. Okay. That's fine. And whenever you're done being an American, you can get born again, be a Christian, get into the kingdom of God. There's a word that I honestly, when I was a kid, never knew what it meant. And we would use it all the time. It's funny. We, we do that often. We don't have a clue what things mean, but because it's cool. I had to explain to uh, all of our family at Thanksgiving what the term woke meant. Literally 25 people in the room, they're like, what's woke? Are you guys for real? <laughs> Actually felt kind of cool for me. I'm like, I know something you don't. And it's not even our word. When we were kids, people would call you... I, I, I used to hear it a lot. Now I know why. <laughs> but old folks uh, would call me an ingrate. <laughs> Amen. You too? <laughs> uh, I, I generally hung out with older people. I ran a cafe when I, was, uh, when I was 14 years old. I was a manager of a cafe. And so I've literally been in in leadership and around older people than me for pretty much my entire life. And these old folks would call me an ingrate. And I used to think that it meant like my parents were siblings. (laughs) And I wasn't a very good Christian, so the long and short of it is I got into a lot of fights over ingrate. And then I found out it actually meant ungratitude ingrateful but it was already when I was born again and past all my fighting days and I'm like I got in so many fights over that word and I didn't even know what it meant but how much of our world today are ingrates we live in by far by far not even close in the most prosperous time in all of human history By far, by far, the most prosperous time in all of human history. In fact, any of you that are struggling with like addictions or problems or or anything like that, it literally speaks to the fact that we have such an abundance that you can't even keep it in check. All of you on a diet. All of you trying to cut down your phone time, your screen time. All of you trying to watch less TV. All of you trying to do less of the stupid stuff. I'll guarantee almost all of this stupid stuff literally speaks to the fact of our incredible prosperity. We live in by far the most prosperous time in all of human history in the most prosperous country that has ever existed. We have at our fingertips access to things that just 50 years ago, your parents, grandparents, didn't even know was, was accessible. And you can get it in seconds on your phone. You can literally stand right here and order an entire house full of furniture, appliances, and food, and it'll, you can go on vacation, come back, it'll be there. <laughs> it, if you think about 
the history of human, and I gotta move. The, the history of human time, like, I mean, they would spend all day just making dinner. Gals would spend six, eight hours cleaning clothes. You get all the clothes, you walk down to the creek, you take the board, you do the thing, you, it takes all day, you go back. It, what'd you do today, honey? Your underwear. <laughs> now we can just throw it away. I wore that once. Amen. Don't make me come to some of y'all girls' closets, because I've walked in closets, and I'm like, tag, 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 tag. Have you wore any of this? Not my wife. <laughs> Other people's closets. When you guys aren't home, I go to your house, and I look through your... <laughs> Our lives... I, I don't make quotes very often, but I, I was when I was meditating on this, this came in my heart. Our lives have the divinely perfect supply of beauty, love, and opportunity. What the world is destitute of are the ones who are truly thankful for this. Jesus died to give you everything. And I, and I don't know this specifically. You guys know that I'm not preaching at a singular person. I'm just, I'm just giving out truths and revelations. And so if this hits you, it's not because I targeted you. Because God did, so take it up with Him. But if your prayer life is begging for stuff that you ain't got, if when you're around people and you're telling them how all the things that are wrong and what you don't have, and if you wish you had, and you're an ingrate. <laughs> yep. Only at Beloved Church and with Pastor Steve Castle can somebody get away with standing up here and saying something like that. I'm so thankful for you guys. Because when I travel, I'm like, I can't call these people ingrates, Lord. <laughs> He's like, pretty it up. Like, There's no way to pretty that up. It's ingrate. Ingrate will get you in a fight. Don't you remember? I'm going to read through Psalm 35. I want to show you, uh, I want to hi- start highlighting a principle here that we're going to uh, conclude with. In Psalm 35, those of you that don't know what Psalm 35 is, Psalm 35 has become really uh, a major blessing to me lately because we are in the middle of some of the most tyrannical times by some of the most wicked leaders that I've ever heard of or seen. Liberty and freedom have been skewered on the on some of the grills of these obese leaders that think that it's okay for them. You could probably think of one or a few. I did that pretty good. I'm just going to read the Bible because I don't want to say other stuff. Verse 1. Contend, O Lord. This is why this, this psalm has become really uh, relevant to me because it's like David saying, like, Get him, God! <laughs> <laughs> now, stick with me. That's not our attitude, but this is kind of David's attitude during here. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. I, I like this attitude. He, not like, just go get everybody. Just, get, just help me with those guys that are coming after me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the, and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul... God, say to my soul, I am your salvation. And sometimes you need God to affirm that to you. That's why you need to read the scriptures, because God will say in the scriptures, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Hear, hear. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord drive them away. Isn't that a fun sight? Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I've imagined all of this and I've put actual political, governmental, leadership faces on some of these activities. I'm just being carnal and transparent. I've seen their ways slippery. I've seen angels chase them. I've seen spears flying their way. And then the Lord says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm like, well, you do. (laughs) 
it's not, it's not, it doesn't, you don't get to say that to God. Verse 7, for without cause they hid their net for me. Anybody feel like that? Like you're just minding your own business and it was like, wham, tyranny. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. (laughs) David has a way of talking. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, to his destruction. Just let me say this real quick. I'll guarantee you that all this tyranny that these guys are, these guys and gals are doing right now, it's going to trap them. I'm telling you. It's not even a prophetic word. It's just Bible. Haman swung from his own gallows. And I wish these people knew it. They'd probably back off. Maybe they won't. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) Exulting in His salvation. This sounds like a bunch of us carnal Christians. Like, well, I'll rejoice when I see all the bad people paying for their badness. Stop it. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor? For him who is too strong, from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy, from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. This one kind of got gets me a little bit. Every time I read this, this gets me a little bit. Because when this pandemic opened up and they were shutting down churches, shutting down homes, shutting down families, shutting down life, shutting down freedom, shutting down tyranny, shutting down our state, shutting down our nation, I got on Facebook and I said, Hey, beloved church is open. Specifically, if you're sick, we're open to the sick because that's what this church is supposed to be. Just so you know, a lot of the... A lot of what we were afflicted with, in a way, was self-inflicted. Because I'm the one that went on Facebook and said, Hey, our church is open and we're accepting the sick here. And they used it against me and beat me over the dead trying to beat me to death. And the thing is, is that we've seen hundreds. Me and Bob were literally in a competition for a few months and we gave up. We were taking like COVID scalps. Where somebody would call me like, oh, Pastor, i got symptoms. I'm like, I'll be over there. Don't call Bob. <laughs> and I'd go over and I'd, I'd anoint them with oil, just like uh, James 5, uh, 15 and 16 says. I'd anoint them with oil. I'd declare over them the, the statements of faith. I would see the COVID die, and they'd be healed. Amen. And Bob would do the same thing, and then like at the end of the week, we'd tally up. Like, well, how many scalps did you take? Well, how many did you take? And we were... Running told, but anyway, we were over hundreds that we were praying for when we finally gave up counting because we, were, you know, we didn't think that was very holy to be counting all the. <laughs> and the point is, is that I was running all over the region, um, doing this, praying for the sick, ministering to the afflicted, helping people that were sick. We were. I mean, people were coming to our house. I didn't do anything. It was 24 hours a day for like months and months where this was all we were doing is that we were doing this stuff. And they were beating us over the head with it. And so when I read this, but when, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or for my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast or... Thanksgiving Day. They gnash at me with their teeth. Anybody? Anybody got a family like that? You, we, we don't. I'm not saying we do. I'm just saying like sometimes people are like, I don't want to do Thanksgiving. They're going to gnash at me. How long, O oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me. Remember what Jess was saying? Like we're waiting for long. God, how long are you going to let all the terrible? We're waiting for you. Oh, God's waiting on you. 
How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. I don't know if you're paying attention, but it was like problem, 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 problem. And the solution is, I am going to thank you. You know, most people thank after they get the present. This principle is, if the thanks precedes the manifestation, you're way more likely to have the end of the life that you are living look like what God wants it to look like. It's because most of us wait to see before we give the thanks. That's why we are not actually walking by faith. We are walking by sight. We are walking by what we taste, hear, smell, and feel. We are not walking by what we believe God has already done. Therefore, our thanksgiving comes after the manifestation instead of the thanksgiving leading us into the manifestation. Now, this psalm, most people don't uh, know this because you probably haven't studied it out, but this psalm, there are quotations from this that are specifically towards the crucifixion. Jesus was giving thanks while he was hanging at the cross. Now, tell me about how bad your situation is. In uh, Deuteronomy, I'm going to. I'm just going to read through these because I don't. I, I, when you read these kind of things, people get all mucked up, and you just don't have a revelation of the finished work of the cross. And so I, I don't want to spend a bunch of time here. But in Deuteronomy 28, in Deuteronomy 28, the first 15 verses are the blessings of God that will come on you for keeping His ordinances and for for walking in His covenants and for knowing His promises and, and being diligent about them. So verses 16 through uh, 64, uh, 74, are, yeah, a lot of verses. And they're all about the curse. All of these curses are going to come on people that don't keep the covenant of God, that don't keep the, the word of God, that don't keep the ordinances of God. Now, before you get all condemned and, and guilty because you know you're breaking God's word, okay, we all break God's word. And so we get the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 because Jesus was faithful. And we don't get the curse of the rest of it because Jesus was made a curse for us. Galatians 3.13 says that uh, we... We have been blessed with the blessings of Abraham because Jesus was made a curse for us because it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So we don't get the curses because Jesus became the curse. He took our curse. And so we only get the blessings, but we get them by faith, believing that Jesus obtained them for us. So does that mean don't do anything in the Word? Don't listen to the Word? Don't follow the Word? Don't be obedient? No. That means if you do that, you're an idiot. Is that clear? Is that, is that good words? Okay. Stupid people don't do smart things. The Word of God, the ways of God are smart. So if you say, well, I don't have to do this and I still get the blessing, I'll guarantee you that you, it's not going to manifest in your life because it's accessible because of Jesus' holiness. But the way that it manifests in your life is by you submitting by faith and love to what Jesus has done for you. This is why you can't say, well, I'm just going to be blessed because Jesus was made a blessing for me and go out and treat people terrible and treat your life terrible. Treat your You're not going to get those things manifested in your life, not because they don't belong to you or not because they're legalistic, but because your actions are congruent with your faith. And so if your faith says, I can treat people bad, I can do terrible things, and I can be rebellious, if that's what your faith says, then your faith is not saying, I get the blessings of Abraham because Jesus was made a blessing for me. So do not get condemned with this stuff. 
But I want to show you a principle that God highlighted in Deuteronomy 28. This is verses 47 and 48. So this is part of the curse. Because. When you see the word because, this is one of those words that you really need to pay attention to. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thine thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. God's not going to do this to you. But I'm highlighting a principle, a scriptural, a scriptural spiritual principle. That being unjoyful in serving the Lord, not having gratitude, not having thanksgiving, is going to lead you down a path that is going to position you for your enemy to destroy you. And God doesn't want you to live that way. Many of you probably remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I just want to highlight a couple of verses out of that story. So, a bunch of tyrannical leaders. You like that word? I do. A lot of tyrannical leaders hated Daniel. You know why they hated Daniel? Because he was godly. Literally. He he didn't do nothing wrong. He didn't get them in trouble. He wasn't a terrible guy. He wasn't like being rich and keeping it all to himself. He He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just a godly guy. And God promoted him by favor into these places of, of influence and leadership. And all the other people got mad about it. You, you know, envy is a lot of the reasons that people come and attack you. And so when you attack back, you literally are destroying some of the benefits that you would have in your life by just living out the Christ life that you have. Because the reason they're attacking you is in over envy. And so when you attack back, You literally just told that person, no, what you were envious about in me isn't actually in me. Amen. Amen. That's kind of deep, but you, in Isaiah chapter 12, I didn't put this on there, sorry. In Isaiah chapter 12, it says that you're going to draw salvation out of the wells. You're going to draw salvation out of the wells by joy. One of the reasons that you're not drawing salvation out of the out of the river of living water that's flowing out of your life, out of the well of salvation, one of the reasons you're not getting that manifest in your life is because you're not doing it by joy. You're like, I need salvation, I need deliverance right now, I need this and I need come on, God, where are you at? And that's not how you draw living water. It comes through joy. Through thankfulness, through appreciation, through honor, through value. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the well of salvation. And Daniel, Daniel was being persecuted just because he was a believer. By evil, tyrannical people. And you know, they went to uh, the king and they said, hey, make this decree that if anybody bows down and worships any other god, then we'll be able to throw them in the lion's pit. And they literally, uh, they literally connived and deceived the government. Anybody ever see that happen? <laughs> yeah, like build back better and an infrastructure plan that has no infrastructure in it and, you know, and stuff like that. And so they do this evil thing, and, and the government, obviously, they love it because they're like, hey, you should make this law, and we'll all really love this law. Okay, that'll be great. And then they don't realize that that law literally is targeting the believers. Have we seen any laws that have targeted specifically the believers lately? And so they did that exact thing, and Daniel knew it. Hey, you know, Daniel was aware of what was going on politically, And judicially in his world, all of you that think that you can't be spiritual and know what's going on in the world, Daniel did. And when he knew the law was signed that anybody that worships any other God besides that one, that they are going to be thrown into the lion's den to death. When he knew that law was written, 
Verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. He didn't pray for asking for stuff. He didn't pray for deliverance. He didn't pray to send an angel to come slaughter all the evil people. He didn't pray, give them what they deserve. God, he gave thanks. Now, here's another thing too. He was public and very flamboyant in the way that he did this. He threw open the windows just like any other time. He changed nothing based upon their fear and their tyranny. Changed nothing. If anything in your life has been affected by what's going on in this pandemic with these tyrannical people that are causing you to live in fear, if anything has changed, then you are not in faith the way Daniel was. Amen or oh me. He threw open the windows on purpose so they could see exactly what he was doing. Because it was an unjust law And he was giving them civil disobedience in their face. And the way that he was doing that was thanking God for the opportunity to stand in faith and if need be to die in faith. The end of the story is he gets thrown into the lion's den because he broke the law. But for some reason, the lions, they just couldn't do anything to them. Man, I wish some of you would get that revelation. When you stand with God, who is he that's going to stand against you? If God be for you, who can be against you? Then was the king, in verse 23, exceeding glad for him, because he survived the ordeal, and commanded that they, the evil people, or the guard should take up Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner, no manner of hurt was found upon him. Here's another because he believed in God. So believing in God and thanking God in prayer, now these two have come into connection. Thanking God and having faith are connected. You are going to find over and over in the scripture this, this spiritual principle and also this biblical history heritage of people that have lived their lives in gratitude and thankgiveness. And because of it, they have found themselves ushering either the end of their lives or future generations into greater numbers of blessings because they actually stood in terrible moments, terrible times, and did the gratuitous thing with God. Because they were really people of faith. This is why Thanksgiving has been attacked by the left and by liars. To come after with the 1619 Project and CRT and all of these lies that come from the literal pit of hell. Is to get away from us our heritage that we were a nation founded on people that went through terrible Terrible things. And we did it with our faith in God and we did it with thanksgiving. I'm going to show you a little video right here. This is from PragerU. I would encourage everyone, if you've not either subscribed or got their little app, they do five-minute videos on nearly everything. And once a week, Dennis Prager, the founder of Prager University, he'll do what's called a fireside chat. I almost don't miss a fireside chat. Uh, Dennis Prager is basically my rabbi. He's a he's an Orthodox Jew, and he talks about it from that perspective. And he's incredibly smart, and he uh, is is very intellectual. Some of the stuff I don't agree with doctrinally because uh, obviously we differ in that area, but a bunch of it makes a ton of sense. And so I uh, I love PragerU. I'd encourage you to get on PragerU. But I want to show you this video that PragerU did about Thanksgiving so you have a true, authentic understanding of the history of Thanksgiving. Food, football, and oppression. That's what Thanksgiving has come to mean to many Americans. 
Back in 2007, Seattle public school officials made national news by describing the holiday as a time of mourning and a bitter reminder of 500 years of betrayal. This new narrative describes the pilgrims as arrogant oppressors who fled persecution only to become persecutors themselves, depriving Native Americans of their land and their lives. But this is wrong on every count. First of all, the pilgrims didn't cross the ocean to flee persecution or even England. They'd been living for over a decade in Holland, Europe's most tolerant nation and a haven for religious dissenters. Free from interference by the Church of England, they feared seduction, not persecution, worrying that their children would be corrupted by the materialistic Dutch culture. That's why they risked their dangerous 1620 voyage to a wilderness continent, not because they were running from oppression, but because they were running toward holiness, fulfilling a fateful mission to build an ideal Christian commonwealth. They initially planned to plant this model society on the wild, wolf-infested island known to natives as Manhattan. But winds and tides blew them 250 miles off course, dumping the Mayflower on the frozen coast of Massachusetts. Somehow, the pilgrims saw their dire situation as a demonstration of providential power, especially after a giant wave picked up the flimsy boat of a scouting party on a stormy December night. The turbulent sea then deposited them safely, miraculously, on a little island within sight of the ideal location for their settlement. It was a deserted Indian village with cleared land, stored supplies of corn, and a reliable source of fresh water. No, these supposedly cruel conquerors never actually invaded that village. Instead, they expressed a fervent desire to pay the natives for the dried corn they found. If only they could find someone to pay. But the former inhabitants had perished during three years of plague, probably smallpox, that immediately preceded the pilgrims' arrival. One of the few survivors of that devastation turned up several months later to welcome the English newcomers. Against all odds, he proved to be the single human being on the continent best suited to help the struggling settlers, since he spoke English and had already embraced Christianity. His name was Squanto, and he had grown up in this very village before a ruthless sea captain kidnapped him as a boy and sold him into slavery in Spain. After four years, he was freed by kindly monks, then made his way to England, and finally sailed across the Atlantic, only to find his friends and family all wiped out by disease. Over the next few months, Squanto helped the English newcomers plant crops and negotiate a friendly trade agreement with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. No wonder pilgrim leader William Bradford called Squanto a special instrument sent of God for their good. The celebration, later known as the First Thanksgiving, actually involved a three-day harvest festival in October, apparently inspired by the biblical holiday of Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Ninety hungry Indian warriors joined the 53 surviving pilgrims for this occasion. Nearly half of the colonists had died during the brutal winter. The Englishmen provided some vegetables, fish, and perhaps wild turkeys, while the natives brought five recently hunted deer as house gifts. The preferred sport on this occasion wasn't football, but shooting, with settlers and Indians sharing a fierce fascination with guns. Though these hardy pilgrims loom large in the American imagination. They never built their Plymouth settlement into a major colony. And nearby Boston, the later colony of Massachusetts Bay, grew so much faster that it swallowed up the great-grandchildren of the pilgrims in 1691. But the sense of purpose of the original pilgrims left a permanent imprint on the national character. They maintained unshakable confidence that God protected them not to grant special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. They saw themselves as instruments 
not authors of a mysterious master plan. Today, with our continued blessings so obvious and so overwhelming, the only reason to treat this beloved national holiday as a time of mourning is that some foolish Americans actually think that's a good idea. The pilgrims knew better. They understood that people of every culture and every era can gain more from gratitude than from guilt. I'm Michael Medved for Prager University. Thank you for watching right, this so video. After, to ensure that millions of people uh, watch... Just so you know, after the pilgrims came here in search of holiness... Half of them died, and they were not where they were supposed to be. And so, <clears throat> because of that, they decided to have a Thanksgiving celebration. The first Thanksgiving in America was because things were going wrong. And they knew that giving thanks would make things start to go right. And at that point, they had gone through the worst hardships that that colony would experience. Everything turned around after that next Thanksgiving. Another time in American history that Thanksgiving was very instrumental in changing the course of what was going on in our nation was President Abraham Lincoln, who made Thanksgiving a national holiday repetitive every single year. In 1863, when it became a national holiday, we were two years into a civil war. There was a, an outbreak in the country of cholera. In addition, there was pneumonia, typhoid, diarrhea, dysentery, and malaria. There were 600,000 Union soldiers, somewhere close to one million soldiers during the Civil War were killed. All of them obviously Americans, and some of them killing their own brothers. In addition to all of the deaths of the war, most people don't know this, but about two-thirds of those deaths were from disease. You didn't even die from a bullet. You died because you diarrheaed out your guts and you could not get whole. About one-fifth, I'm sorry, about one-tenth of the American population in 1863 died. Ten percent of all of America died, either through war or through disease. It's one of only three times in all of American history that the life expectancy of America went down. And it's also the largest leap that it ever did. In 1860, the life expectancy in America was 40 years old. In 1865, just five years later, the life expectancy in America was 35 it went down five years because of how terrible these times were. The country was on fire. People were hating each other. And in the middle of all of that, President Abraham Lincoln, God bless him, sent from God, changes the entire course of our nation and declares, that we are going to have thanksgiving. For what? For what? What are we giving thanks for? This is why most of you even hearing this message, you're like, well, what am I going to give thanks for? What's good in my life? This is his pro part of his proclamation. The year that is drawing towards us close has been fulfilled, has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields, and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of so extraordinary nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart 
which is habitually insensitive to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, and fer- we fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as it as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and the union. Shortly thereafter, the war ended. And it, we still had to put the country back together. But it's amazing how thanksgiving preceded what they were giving thanks for. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17, it says, For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood, brass, and for stones, iron, I will also make thy officers peace, and thy extractors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Amen? Amen. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders. Amen. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Remember that. Your walls are salvation, your gates are praise. In Revelation 21, in verse 9 it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither. I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Oh, man. I can preach, and I won't. The angel's going to show us the bride. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high and twelve gates. A wall great and high, your wall shall be salvation, and twelve gates, and your gates shall be praise. The bride, you, the church, our walls are salvation, but the gates where salvation comes and goes, is made of praise. Now, does anybody know what those gates are made of in heaven? Pearls. Not pearls, plural. A pearl per gate. A pearl per gate. Now, just so you know, the walls are 1,500 miles tall. So, I don't know how big the gates are, but it's a big darn pearl. Ladies... Amen. However big this pearl is in this 1,500 mile wall, I want you to imagine for a second what it would take to make a pearl of that size. Some of you don't know this because you went to public school. But a pearl is made when a piece of sand or some other irritant gets into the growing process of a clam. And that clam, to deal with that irritant, starts to cover it with the lining of its own shell. And covers it, 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 until some trader decides to find that clam, rip his face apart, and get the pearl out. And then we see this pearl, and we're like, this is the most beautiful. If you've ever seen real, real pearls, which I know they're hard to come by because the plastic ones are easy to find. If you've ever seen a real, real pearl, like, it is glorious. But have you ever thought that the reason that pearl exists is because an irritant, an irritation got into the wrong place? And the gates of heaven are made of pearls. Which means that the people of God, the bride, took the irritations that came into their life and they covered it with thanksgiving and 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 covered it with thanksgiving thanksgiving until eventually they produced a pearl that was bigger than any clam could ever make. They produced pearls that God said, and these are the gates of you going in and coming out of heaven. It is covering your irritation with thanksgiving. And we see our irritations as a reason to cover it with complaints. 
God's saying, I have a pearl that you could make if you would just do the right thing with this thing in your life. Uh, I'll just say this instead of reading it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in Luke chapter 12, in the what we call the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread at the Last Supper that was representative of his body being broken. And it says that he took it and he gave thanks and broke it. He gave thanks to God that he was going to be broken for all of humanity. And then it says he took the cup. And when he took the cup, it says he gave thanks. And then told his disciples, drink this, all of it. This is the blood, my blood, of the New Testament. He gave thanks to God that he was going to be poured out in a bloody, broken mess. It says in Hebrews, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God the Father, ever expecting until his enemies are made his footstools. When he was faced with the most terrible situation any human being has ever been faced, he turned it into a feast of thanksgiving. And then went through the cross successfully, coming out on the other side and providing for us the blessings that we now all enjoy. And I would say it would be appropriate for us to give thanks for him being broken and him being spilled out for us. So whatever you're going through, the solution may be in Thanksgiving. Not the day, but the attitude of the heart. Please rise. I would like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.